Hello, this is an unofficial audio commentary for the film Ten Rillington Place, which came out in 1971, directed by Richard Fleischer, starring Richard Attenborough and John Hurt. Uh, my name is Anthony Rutuno. I have no official connection to this case. Um, if you want to follow it on the video, you should hear the air raid siren starting up there for the start of the film. Yeah, I've lived in... I used to live in the area and uh, became interested in the case and I've read a few books, but I have no unofficial connection. But a uh, gentleman I'm with does have a more official connection than I do. Jonathan, can you introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Jonathan Oates. I'm the author of John Christie of Rillington Place. It's um, a more realistic um, and well-researched account of Christie's life and crimes. It was published last year. Okay, so that is a biography of Christie rather than about the case... Um, Ten Rillington Place. Um, there have obviously been lots of books about this, and uh, I think when we get into maybe one of the longer scenes, we can talk about some of the books that have come out on the case. But um, yeah, basically, what we have is a case that took place in West London in the 1940s and 50s. Um, whichever way you spin it, the main character in this, the main person, is John Reginald Halliday Christie. Could you give us. Um, an overview, if it's possible, of Christie? Yeah. Christie was born on the 8th of April, 1899, in Halifax. He was the sixth of seven children born to Ernest John and, um, and Mary Hannah Christie. Um, he went to school in Halifax. Um, he seems to have had a very troubled um, youth, um, problems with his father, quite possibly, and also with um, taunting uh, in, in his adolescence of his sexual prowess. Um, but he was quite an intelligent lad. Um, he was also in the Bog Scouts and sang in the church choir, quite a respectable figure in many ways. He was injured in the First World War and um, married um, a lady called... Um, Ethel. <laughs> Ethel Simpson in 1920 in Halifax and uh, he then had various offences for petty crimes, mm. um, theft uh, assault um, and so forth but he and his wife re reunited and from 1937 lived at this address 10 at Rillington Place mm -hmm. and we're just watching here this is uh, Christie's second victim Muriel Eady as depicted in the film um, now we're not we don't want to, don't want to uh, nitpick the film too much but there are quite a lot of uh, differences from the official story. So uh, there's a couple in this scene, is that right? Christie wasn't actually in the police force, even though we can see him in his uniform. Indeed. Christie had mm. been in the War Reserve, War Reserve Constabulary from 1939 to December 1943. But this scene is actually taking place on Saturday, the 7th of October. Um, and at this time he's working for a radio factory in North Acton. Which is where he met um, this lady here, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, as it, the film shows, he was um, inviting her back to his house, or rather three rooms in which he rented, mm. in order to allegedly cure her health problems. That's right, yeah. Quite an ingenious scheme, I have to say, even though it's pretty uh, macabre. But uh, I think the, the one thing you can see here from Rillington Place is that it's, it was a slum area. Now, everybody now, of course, with Notting Hill, 
thinks of it as very gentrified, but it was a real slum, wasn't it? That's right. This time. Indeed. It's perhaps also worth pointing out that Muriel Edie was actually only aged 31 at the time mm. of her death, and um, she's described as being a rather plump a young woman rather than a slender figure um, is depicted here. Yeah, yeah. But uh, do you think the Christie's profile, is it quite a classic profile for a serial killer, would you say? Just the bare bones of... Well, in some ways, yes, but in other ways, no. For example, um, he's not known to have indulged in petty crime or cruelty as, as a lad, whereas mm, some mm. do. Uh, well, yes, that's um, he's not known to have suffered any sexual abuse from family members mm. or um, so forth. And uh, he, he was, as I said, quite an intelligent man with an IQ of 128. Mm. Um, so in some ways, no. But perhaps in some ways, yes, because he, he had a record of, of petty crime. Mm. Um, he's adult, early yes, adult life. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Just a bit dizzy. Yeah. One thing is that, of course, he did go through the First World War. Uh, that's um, the and it was exposed to mustard gas. Now, I think he made a lot of um, the effects of it. He said that he'd lost his voice for three years, was it, or something like that? It's a little bit exaggerated. He did exaggerate the effects, but there's, yeah. no, n- there's no doubt he was injured by, mm. by mustard gas um, in 1918 and was invalided out um, of, of active service in the armed forces. Mm. Now, I've, I mean, I've done a bit of reading about... Uh, the effects of, of war. I mean, probably both most people can imagine the effects of war, but um, it's interesting that uh, another person who was in the First World War was exposed to mustard gas was Adolf Hitler. So um, I don't know who knows uh, whether that may have had any effect on their on their brain. I mean, there have been studies to that effect, so uh, that may be a factor that hasn't been taken into account. Um, Charles Lawton, the famous film star of the 1920s and 30s, also was injured by mustard gas during the First World War in 1918. Mm. And ironically, was also born in the same year as John Christie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So this is extremely grisly. I think Richard Attenborough, we've seen an interview with him, haven't we? And uh, not an easy part to play. And I think... uh, because they're actually filming it on the street, aren't they? That's right. About three doors down. Indeed, like indeed. Yeah. Yes, yes. And, uh, yeah, as you can imagine, it's a pretty difficult part to play. And he, he said that he used to come home from filming just feeling sort of unclean or, you know. But I think there's a definite effect to having this because it's, yeah, it's pretty grisly. We're not actually shown in explicit detail what Christie did to his victims. Clearly, mm. he's going to strangle her, mm. um, and, impl- and um, it's usually assumed that he had sexual intercourse mm. with his victims after death. Mm. But it seems more likely that it, he, he had sexual intercourse with them when they were unconscious, mm. then strangled them, and uh, then buried yeah. them. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the theory from a lot of people is that he's, if he's sexually inadequate, he needs uh, uh, either a vic- he needs either someone who's not going to question him, like a prostitute, for example. Now this or, uh, foot, sorry to interrupt you. That's right. This foot belongs to his first victim, uh, the, um, by the name of Ruth Furst, who was an Austrian refugee, mm. um, Jewish, from uh, um, who's fleeing from, from Nazi persecution. Mm. Now it's unlikely that her completely undecomposed foot would still be there because her murder took place 14 months prior to the murder that right. we're seeing now. Right, right. But clearly it's shown for, for um, allowing the viewer to know that Christie had not had killed 
um, killed people before um, Muriel. Mm. And just a little note, for people that aren't watching the video, we were just watching him uh, dragging a corpse into his very small garden and burying it. And one of the things about that always fascinates me about this case is that we're dealing in uh, such a tiny house uh, with presumably fairly paper-thin walls, and it's amazing that all these things uh, were able to happen without anybody uh, seeing them. And particularly, if you look at some photos, there's an overview. There, there are various houses that can see right into Christie's garden, so it's quite quite amazing that you got away with it. Anyway, here we are. Uh, right, the caption said uh, 1949, but again, it's slightly different, isn't it? It was actually in March 1948, yeah. which is which predates the birth of David Geraldine, mm. who was actually born in October yeah. 1948. So when the Evans arrived at the house, Mrs. Beryl Evans was um, was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So we're coming to the bit of the story. Um, basically, the story's jumped forward for four years, actually. We just want to look it over. And, uh, yeah, basically, we know that John Christie killed before and after this period which is 1948-49 and uh, the couple there arriving Tim Tim and Beryl and uh, as we said they didn't have the baby with them in reality but in the film they've got the baby Uh, so the central um, mystery because as far as we're concerned this is actually still an unsolved crime although it's it's not officially an unsolved crime like Jack the Ripper but um, we kind of think it is because basically what happened was that uh, the young man is just arriving here. Uh, we'll see later. He, he's he's hanged for the murder right, of his wife and his daughter. What's his name? And then it turns <laughs> out a few years later that Christie's crimes are all discovered. So it didn't happen straight away, but in the end he was pardoned. But uh, one thing we should definitely clear up. Um, everybody's now pretty much convinced that, that Evans was innocent. It was a miscarriage of justice. But when the... When the report came out that actually uh, gave him his pardon, it wasn't found that he was an innocent man, was it? That's Even cr- officially. That's correct. The official verdict in 1966 by Judge um, Justice Brabin concluded that Evans was probably guilty of the murder of his wife, but probably not guilty of the murder of his daughter. And of course, in 1950, he'd been tried for the murder of his daughter, not his wife. And therefore, it was that verdict that he was being pardoned from. Although that verdict has not been officially overturned, and officially, Mm. Evans is still down on record as the murderer of his wife. Yeah, it's quite interesting that... um, uh, a lot of people uh, we're on this forum by the way I'll, I'll just put a um, quick plug out for there's a forum on the internet called the Christie case if you put the Christie case forum into Google um, you'll find it and this quite interesting debates about a few things it tends to go around in circles because we have got to a point where there's probably not going to be too much more information that comes out about the case and uh, also there's a very good website www10 I think it's the number, yeah, 10rillingtonplace.co.uk, which is very informative. Um, yes, now on the forum, there are, there are a lot of people who have taken the fact that he was officially uh, pardoned and taken, used that as a basis that he was uh, officially innocent, which, as we're saying, in fact, he wasn't. And do you think, do you think the reason that Brabin came to that might be that they were able to pardon him without saying that they'd hung an innocent man. 
Would you? That's possible. Because it was a bit of a strange yes. verdict, yes. wasn't it? Yeah. No one. Uh, well, actually, one other person did come to that conclusion, didn't they? But. Uh, well, that's all right. Yeah. So what we're watching here is uh, Christie supposedly taking an interest in uh, Beryl Evans. Now the actress Judy Geeson, I would say, in my opinion, is slightly more attractive than Beryl Evans possibly was. But you know, a bit of artistic license, nothing wrong with that. But um, nice up here now. So, what's now the official version, which is basically what was in Ludovic Kennedy's book, Tamerlane's Place, which this film is based on. It's not based on the official case per se, it's based on the book. Medical stuff then. Consult. We've got Christie using his authority now. We'll see that he has a lot of references to him being a doctor then. Do we know that he used to do that? Did he used to mention that? Well, Christy liked to pretend he had medical experience and knowledge, mm. although his medical knowledge and experience only extended to having two St. John's ambulance certificates. Um, and he, and he, 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 he was very keen on first aid, mm. as was his father before him. Mm. And um, in, his, in his job in the British Road Services, 1950 to 52, he was the firm's first aid rep. He was very enthusiastic about carrying out first aid duties. He'd also often boast to women that his father had been a famous Edinburgh doctor, whereas, I, whereas he was a factory worker, and that he himself had skills and knowledge which, of course, uh, were completely fraudulent. Mm-hmm. OK. And in the film, I mean... Uh Let's face it, with a film, I mean, you need fairly well-defined characters because someone like Christie is pretty multifaceted. But they've taken him as a sort of an older man trying to lord it over the couple a little bit, perhaps, showing them round the rooms as if he's a landlord, but, of course, he was only a tenant. And uh, he'd actually lived in the top floor, hadn't he, before? Indeed, that's right. Graduated to the ground floor. Interesting that the music that that is now being played on the wireless mm. is by Elgar. Mm. So we've got a lot also in the film of Christie peeping round curtains. Now I think that does seem to be quite accurate. He used to uh, have these apparently these lightweight plimsolls, and he used to sort of shuffle around the house quite silently. And, uh, it was always always like to know who was um, coming through the door, and I think he even uh, made a spy hole, didn't he? Is that right? Is that I accurate? believe it may be. Yeah. Now, it's perhaps worth mentioning that Timothy Evans, who we see here on the right, of course, mm. um, had um, quite a limited education, mm. and his reading and writing skills were, were not particularly high. Mm. Um, and in the film here, we see, as in real life, that Evans's were in arrears to the landlord. Mm. The Evans's were actually often in debt. Yes. Uh, with, with their higher purchase company for furniture, the landlord, and with various other bills as well. So this theme uh, is, is, is quite accurate with Evans as um, talking about his debt and uh, blaming his wife mm. for the problems that they're in. Yeah. Or as a managing director, um, or something, you know. Won't you have to learn to... Well, John Hurt definitely gave a good performance. I don't think anyone would doubt that. Well, you have the um, was it with the, na- the National Archives? Uh, yes. Quite a lot of documents got well, released in the 90s and it found that Evans oh, damn woman. quite undisputably wasn't 
exactly as he's portrayed here. I mean, maybe he was a bit... In and out of here all What do we know? Is he more violent? Oh, I'm sorry. A fairly violent character. It seems that he probably was. Um, there's a reference mm. to his uh, wife having to defend herself with um, um, a bread knife, mm. things like mm. that. And there's there's references to um, neighbours. Um, what you been doing today, then, eh? Um, mm? Recalling him putting his hands round his wife's neck and things like mm. that. So, um, she seems to have been pretty spirited, though, would you say? Oh, yes, yes. His wife was uh, was certainly not a doormat. Yeah. Um, the young woman we've just seen mm. in the film is called Alice. Right. And she's an amalgamation of two people. One called Lucy Endicott, mm. who's a friend of Beryl's well, school, but later on had... Um, a couple of nights uh, with um, Timothy Evans mm, yeah. and she's also a combination of Joan Vincent who lived nearby uh, and um, her role we can talk a little bit about later yeah. although in real life it's a little more ambiguous than it appears here and another one on the way now it's quite important to note I've seen here that um, Beryl Evans is pregnant mm. with another child, which neither she nor her husband, despite his Catholic upbringing, um, are too happy about. So this kind of thing isn't in dispute, isn't it? But in, uh, in Ludovic Kennedy's book, he says that the girl called Lucy Endicott, who was staying with her, who, as you said, uh, this character is a sort of slightly based on... Um, oh no, you don't. Beryl had told her that Christie was going to perform an abortion with her. But that's not necessarily true, is it? So, well, certain, certainly, we will see Endicott denied that Beryl had told her that. Because, mm. I mean, that, that really is that's quite conclusive. If yeah. that was proved to be true, yeah, then it wasn't. Because basically, the official version, which again, as we said, this is based on, which is, comes from Ludovic Kennedy's book in 1961. The official version is that Christie was an abortionist, or certainly pretended to be an abortionist, and that you'll see in the film that he offers to abort this baby. Uh, Something which is pretty contentious, I would say. Um, This is Evans. I imagine we're in the KPH. Either the KPH or the Elgin. The Kensington Park Hotel yeah. is certainly the pub that Evans is known to frequent. It's still in existence. It's on the corner of Ladbroke Road. That's right, Lancaster Road. Lancaster Road. Yeah. The Elgin is slightly further down that road. Yeah, because I actually used to live in this area. And I, I went into the KPH out of interest for a couple of times. It's incredible. I actually hardly moved on at all. It's been kept in a sort of very grungy condition. But the Elgin's a bit more gentrified. But from the outside, they look very similar. Three in a bed, eh? How about that? You can have my old woman if you like. That'll make up the set. <laughs> when you look at the when you look at the map of this area, it's all very very small contained area, isn't it? That's right. Evans's family lived in St Mark's Road at number 11 mm. at this period of time. Mm. He's only a few hundred yards away from Templington Place. That's where his mother, his stepfather, uh, his half-sister, his sister and his stepfather's son were also resident. Mm-hmm. And from your book, your book had a lot of uh, addresses of uh, the people that lived here. And Beryl Evans actually went to school at St Mark's primary right opposite pretty much opposite wasn't it ruins in place that's right and actually worked actually turned out that where evans lived in the 30s which about 10 years or more before this 
he actually did live uh, very near Christie, about one street away at one point. So it'd be fascinating to know if they ever ran into each other. I suppose we never know that. So we've just seen Tim going off to the pub. I did like to have a few drinks. And uh, obviously they're in a very cramped situation. It's pretty stressful for everybody. I guess well, the money arrears didn't help, but they... Were they, do they seem to be a compatible couple? If you take away all the external, all the external circumstances, it's hard to say really. The two are married after a relatively short courtship. Mm. Beryl seems to be quite, seems to be reasonably well educated and intelligent, had a good job mm. um, for a woman at that time. Grosvenor Park, is it? indeed. Grosvenor Park um, later. later on, she works in a shop where. where she had been indulging in male flirtation with mm. a customer mm. and when um, Evans found out about this he came round to the shop made a scene and his wife was dismissed from her employment this is an indication a little bit of Evans's character I think but then when she had the friend to stay the friend ended up going away with Evans as you said for a couple of nights indeed which is a bit bizarre <laughs> which, which has not happened here mm. and Evans later said when when you can't be Lucy left him he would run him a, he would run her over in his lorry mm. so he's working as a, a lorry driver at this time so we've got Christy again basically acting like the landlord uh, I suppose he was uh, you might say he was a senior tenant because the ground floor had a bit more space and he had exclusive use of the garden which he probably made full advantage of I think Christy expected um, the Evanses to show respect to him as no. both an older man mm. and a man of more intelligence no, and perhaps social time. class too. I think that seems likely. Oh, he was more middle class, wasn't he? And this is a very working class area. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's true. Well, Christy himself, uh, the job he was in, wasn't earning that much more money. No, no. Although, of course, it was, it was a white-collar job, um, yeah. employed by the post office savings bank in queue. Mm. I mean, a ledger clerk, ledger clerk is a fairly junior position, in fact. It is indeed. And he was a ledger clerk up to the yeah. age of 50. Just seeing him, seeing, kind of, talking to one of the neighbours and... Uh, Christy was held his respectability. Yes, yeah. Christy indeed mm. was held in, in quite high respect, but by his neighbours, mm. um, they didn't see him as a sinister figure at all. Mm. It's worth remembering that most houses in this country at this time had outdoor toilets and washrooms mm. um, hangover from the Victorian terraces and mm. um, this house being built in 1869 yeah. and they used to have public baths didn't they people used to go to places to have baths I wonder, that's, I wonder if that's why swimming pools are called public baths maybe that is quite probably, probably. Yeah. so I mean it's pretty tough conditions they're living in let's face it now this meeting between Christie and Evans, sorry, between Christie and mm. Beryl, is not documented. Mm. It is uh, an imaginary scene which mm. may have happened, mm. um, but it's quite crucial for the plot of the film yes. because it introduces Christie to the knowledge that Beryl is pregnant, mm. wishes to abort it, and that he is a man who can do so. Mm. Of course, he can. He didn't have. have 
the knowledge to bot anyone. Mm. But of course, the important thing yeah, is that yeah. he's able to convince people, such as Beryl, mm. who of course is far younger than he is, that he has that ability and he's happy to do so. Great yeah. problems to you may seem simpler to a, an older head, you know. I mean, the, the thing, thing we should remember, actually, is that the official version, the Ludovic Kennedy version, is actually only based on one statement. Yes, I see. From uh, Evans. Tim. That's right, isn't it? The Indeed. second statement Indeed. is pretty much the whole official Not version. Uh, yeah, I mean, what's, what's sort of mysterious about this case, and I guess well, makes I'm it interesting, is that Evans and Christie were both pretty bizarre characters. They were both liars. They both made numerous confessions. <laughs> they both confessed in different ways to both to have killed um, Beryl Evans. So it's pretty hard to... To really rely on anything they say, but uh, no, I understand that. Wouldn't you agree? Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to add that um, Beryl has said know, that her husband is um, is earning seven pounds a week. Mm. Now that's with overtime mm. as a driver. Now Christie was earning about eight pounds a week. Mm. So the actual um, the actual um, differentiation in wage isn't very much. Yeah. It's just that Christy gives himself airs with his superior intelligence right. and perhaps education um, compared to his junior um, co-tenants. Mm. It's, uh, it's quite a simple matter. So while this, while this is going on, let's just um, talk about some of the books on the case, shall we? So basically... Um, uh, Christie was hanged in 1953 and then as soon as he was hanged um, a lot of people started lobbying for the Evans case to be reopened uh, there was a one week investigation by Scott Henderson uh, which concluded that uh, Evans was guilty but uh, a lot of people maybe uh, wondered why you know, they'd only be given seven days to work with him. Christie wouldn't say anything before he was hanged. So uh, the first book was Michael Eddowes, is that right? Well, actually, the first one the book actually came out um, in the same year as Christie's execution. A book oh. titled The Christie Case, very, very hard to get You've hold got of. Here, yeah. <laughs> by Ronald Maxwell, who was a yeah. journalist. And uh, he, he wrote the book before Christie was hanged. Mm. Um, it's actually quite an interesting book, um, first hand by a journalist who was actually working on the case. Mm. Um, and also in the same year, you have an interesting book, also very hard to get hold of and very expensive, by Dr. Francis Camp, mm. who was the pathologist who investigated uh, the, the bodies of Christie's victims mm. and uh, also performed an autopsy on Christie himself. Mm. Um, and he wrote a book... Um, Medical and scientific yeah. investigation on the Christie case. Mm. Very technical, very medical, and goes into great detail about the bodies, um, but makes some very interesting observations as well, mm. um, and in, in, includes some interesting pictures of the various corpses uh, and skeletons found um, in the premises. Mm. But the first one to revisit the Evans case was Michael Eddowes, isn't it? And that was in 1955, I think. 55, two yeah. years later. Only two years, yeah. And I think that was a fairly short book. I think I hadn't read it myself, but it was a short book. And then Ludovic Kennedy wrote what most considered to be the definitive book, apart from yours, obviously. 1961, called Temberlington Place. Then, come on. It's a bit hard to summarise. It's pretty long and detailed, but uh, he came in with a thesis, didn't he? 
he didn't write the book as if he was going to investigate it and then come up with a conclusion. He basically had a conclusion already in place, which was that there'd been a miscarriage of justice. Um, have you got any comments about that book? Just well, in, it's hard to summarise the whole it's thing. It's hard to summarise, mm-hmm. um, but basically it's factually very slipshod and it's clearly agenda-driven, which Kennedy admits um, in, in, in the opening pages. Mm. Uh, he, he's aiming at a certain conclusion and he tends to ignore facts uh, which, which um, accomplish that conclusion and, mm. and to emphasise the ones... Which, uh, which tend to support his case. Mm. Uh, he uses lots of supposition and occasionally puts words into the, into the thoughts of the Christian Evans, mm. words, of course, which uh, Kennedy never, never met even and can possibly know. Mm. I like Gregory Peck. Right. Okay. Just yeah. as a footnote, Gregory Peck, incidentally, who's mentioned here, mm. um, a very well-known actor of this period, was also mentioned by Christie as being one of his three favourite film stars, oh. along with Virginia Mayer, um, both of whom incidentally starred in the film um, Captain Horatio Hornblower, mm. which came out in about 1950. Oh, okay. So, I mean, as I've said, Kennedy's book is basically based on one statement that Evans made. And, but then in the same year, two, two more books or one more? Two more. Two more out. books, yeah. Uh, Rupert Furnow, The Two Stranglers of Rillington Place, which again went down the third route. What do you think he can do? That it was actually both of them involved. Now, in my opinion, it seems very hard that either of them could do something that the other wouldn't know about in that tiny house. I don't know what you think about that. But of all the mysteries, it seems to me that they would have both known at some point. I think Furnow is probably incorrect in his conclusion. Although, of course, it's the one which... Um, Judge Brabin um, came out with a few years later, 1966. Well, yeah. uh, it seems unlikely, I, I, I have to say. The other book which came out in 1961 was by John N. Chance, mm. The Crimes of Rillington Place, which is basically a novelisation, yeah. reasonably close to the facts, although mm. with lots of invented dialogue. Um, about the decline and fall of the marriage of the Evanses, mm. resulting in his murdering her and later the, the um, child on, on the same night. Yeah, I suppose the weakness, obviously, as you said, there's lots of invented conversations, but it's quite interesting. There's, there's lots of scenes of Christie sort of meditating. He describes it as meditating in the garden because obviously he's got two cor- he had two corpses in the garden at the time that this action actually was taking place and um, yeah it's sort of interesting isn't it but yeah. it's a novelist it's actually called a novelist reconstruction isn't it so um, yeah Rupert Furno came up with the conclusion that Evans had killed his wife and Christie had killed the baby and I think if if that was true then it seems that Will you tell Mr. Perhaps that they would have been in collusion to some extent, or they both would have I known. I don't like it very I mean, do you think? Do you think it's possible that the crimes could have gone on without both of them having some knowledge? I think both men. I think both men were probably aware of what was happening. Mm. I think in so small a house, it would be difficult not to, especially as um, Christie was um, was off work for much of a period in mm. question. And, of mm. course, Evans um, was unemployed and living in the house for a few days after the crimes took place. Mm. It seems inconceivable that they did not have a knowledge of what was going on. But, of course, their mouths were closed because of their possible and, and indeed, actual, actual involvement. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. And obviously, Chris, everything Christie did was um, based on trying to conceal uh, the two bodies he already had. Jim. Um, I think it's fair to say that... I dislike... You know, we know that Chris, Christie had a much higher IQ than Evans. Which, you know, may not... Doesn't mean uh, everything, because there's multiple intelligences. But I think it's... I think it'd probably be fair to say that he probably could uh, bamboozle him a little bit with words or yes. would have a yes. verbal um, advantage over him. So it's, you know, it's not, it's not out of the question at all that a conversation like the one we're seeing or listening to here, which is basically, yeah, Christie again trying to show off his knowledge and having quite a convincing air of authority over Evans. Worth noting the photograph of a policeman in uniform um, in the picture next to Christie. This, of course, is the um, is the police uniform which Christie obviously wore during World War II, and he was actually quite proud of his service in mm. the police, and he 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 won various. Um, Commendations for his uh, work there, and um, often mentioned it to people that he had well, seen war service as a policeman. The other, the other item on the wall is almost is certainly the St John's ambulance certificate, which for first aid, which Christie gained um, in the past, which he likes again likes to display his knowledge mm. and show off his um, his own abilities. Well, he was um, sort of officially disowned by his family, wasn't he? But he sent a picture to one of his sisters. He had a favourite sister, and he sent a picture, sent that policeman's picture. Actually, just looking at that, 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 look, that actually looks like it's probably Richard Attenborough. In that that actually looks slightly different to the real one. Yes. I don't know, for sure. Um, also, um, it's worth noting that the photograph, if you see the original in one of the many books and depicts, mm. Christa is not wearing glasses. It mm. seems that he didn't start wearing glasses until about 1948, mm. when, of course, he had been entitled to, to free spectacles on the NHS. Mm. Um, it seems that he, 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 his eyesight was reasonably good earlier in life. I trust you. I think the round glasses almost fit the profile of him. It's just sort of rather sinister. It just seems right. to fit somehow. Yeah, he did. He did look quite ordinary in one way, but he did have this rather remarkable uh, domed head, with the domed head and the round glasses and the sort of sultry, yeah. <laughs> whispery voice. Yeah, we've never lost a father yet. He sort of was ordinary and sinister at the same time. I think. We do see the picture of his wife's mother, which was on display in the um, in the living room. Um, So as we're seeing here, Evans is going off to work, Christie's peering through the curtains again, and now he's going to carry out the alleged uh, abortion of her baby, which w will not turn out to be an abortion of the baby. But again, we don't know that this happened at all. Um, what we certainly do know mm. is that Christie appears here that he is going to work uh, and then decides not to for reasons which, which shall become apparent mm. in real life Christy had actually been off work for several days already mm. and we do know that he went to the doctor on this day didn't he? he did I think most people would agree that it's probably the day that, that she was killed but uh, yeah he was a free uh, frequent visitor to the doctor so it's quite interesting that we still have the records of that so we can monitor the movements to some extent. Now, Mrs Christa here is shown leaving the house with mm -hmm. um, papers so Christy can, can do what he's going to do. Mm. But, as, but as far as we know, I said, 
Christie was um, at home ill on this day, as he had been for several days, and his wife was in the house all the time on mm. this day, um, as far as we know. I'm ready, Reg. And we just saw Christie there looking in the mirror at himself. About the only sort of hint at self-analysis or any analysis that's in this film, really. He was never really officially analysed, was he? But... Well, there were psychiatrists who, who spoke to him and interviewed him mm. after he'd been arrested, uh, and they made right. lengthy conclusions about his uh, criminal personality. Mm. But I don't think uh, introspection, uh, from his own point of view, mm. was very frequent. Mm. It's interesting to see the car um, and, and, and the truck on the road. Now, um, Runton Place is a very small road, like ten houses on each side, mm. and at this time, none of the um, residents would have had cars. And it's probable that there were very few, few, few visits by people who had cars to this street. So it's mm. rather interesting to see the car there. Mm. Perhaps it's in FFP with detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just going back to the shot of Christie looking at himself, I suppose it, it does... I don't know, I suppose it gives the impression that he has an uncontrollable impulse. Well, of course, uh, your book, Jonathan, um, gave was trying to give the idea that evil men who commit evil acts are not just pure evil. That, you know, character is a lot more um, a lot more complicated than that, a lot more complex. And uh, you know, he obviously did have an uncontrollable impulse, which is you know, you can take a person of a very similar upbringing. Yeah, there are unfortunately quite a lot of children who have difficult childhoods, uh, including some sort of abuse, and they don't, they don't end up doing what he did. So it's very difficult to analyse why exactly, isn't it? Now the doorbell, which is now ringing, mm. is, is being rung by two workmen who mm. have been sent by the council to um, to do some work on the. Um, house and the outhouses in the garden mm. now this again is another um, another change from reality because in fact workmen had been employed in and outside the house um, for nine days prior to this um, the action here is taking place on the 8th of November mm. 1949 mm. but workmen had been at work here since the 31st of October a fact that clearly the Christie would, be, would have been aware of mm. Yeah, I mean, again, it's just for dramatic effect, isn't it? But, yeah, it's interesting that the that there were workmen here around this time, and that's actually quite significant, as we'll see a bit later. There are bodies discovered in the wash house, and it seems fairly clear that the bodies couldn't have been in the wash house on the day that Evans said he put them there, in one of his confessions. Yeah, I think it would be difficult to go through all the machinations of this case. There's so much detail and... Uh, Indeed, indeed. Things that we don't know. But, uh, Wash house, is it? Just the air buildings. Yeah. I you better come through. It seems unlikely that if Christie ah. was going to commit a double Thank murder, he would do so at a time that there were workmen in the house mm. and his wife oh. in the house. Bear in mind, this, as, as, as we've right. said, it's a very small house. Mm. Uh, it would seem for an intelligent man to commit a, a double murder... 
with lots of people in earshot would be unlikely, mm. given the, the, the fact that on his previous murders, he made certain his wife was away from home at the time, and um, clearly he was in. He had an instinct for self-preservation to mm. make basic precautions. Yeah. Chrissy was was a, was a great tea drinker, incidentally. Mm. Mm. Um, he he rarely touched alcohol, um, but he insists on always giving his his victims a cup of tea, or as he once wrote, a nice little cup of, cup of tea. Yeah, it's yeah. quite a strange, slightly genteel aspect, even old old um, old ladyish aspect of his character. Well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, a couple of people in a couple of books I've read have said he was a bit of an old woman, wasn't he? I think he's been described as a bit of an old woman, and it's yeah, yeah. There was a genteel aspect to it, and of course, as we've said, he often visited the doctor mm. uh, on numerous occasions. Mm. Yeah, phenomenally uh, frequent on, yeah. in some years. Yeah, yeah. So what we're seeing here is this: this is uh, number seven, Rillington Place. Is, it, is that the exterior and the interior? Is it, is it the real house? Do we know? Part of oh, the no. film was shot in the studio at, um, at Shepperton, uh, certainly. Okay. Um, okay. The inhabitants of Number 10, understandably, didn't want mm. any filming taking place in their house. Mm. And in one earlier scene, we see um, a nighttime scene in which it's the, the, the house is clearly is, must be Number 7. Mm. So number 10 is at the far end of the, of the street. Mm. And the scene that we were shown earlier is clearly not Number 10. But the dimensions here are pretty accurate, would you say? I, I think so. Tiny, yes. isn't it? Yes. Really? Um, Rupert Furno in his book refers to it as a doll's house. And I think mm. that's a pretty good description. Yeah, although uh, I've noticed uh, in Kennedy's book there are a couple of exaggerations. I mean, he claims that you could jump from the top window to the ground without sustaining any serious damage. I'm not sure if that's quite right. But, uh, I think the doll's house, yeah. As a sort of metaphor, is uh, quite accurate. Is it going to hurt? Rupert Ferner actually Just, uh, actually did visit the house, as of course um, it was still in existence in 1961 hmm. when his book was published. Perhaps you better pull down the blind. Yeah, just going back to all the books that have been published. Um, maybe we should go a bit forward to 90 to the 1990s um, when John Eddowes. Uh, brought out a book, Two Killers, Two Killers of Rillington Place. And what was uh, really bizarre about that, not not the first thing that's bizarre about this whole case, is that his uh, interpretation was the total opposite of what his father had said in his original book, Michael Eddowes, The Man in Your Conscience. Um, now, John Eddowes had a pretty uh, pretty scathing about Kennedy. Just that. Uh, but in a way, it was uh, written in the same way that Kennedy's was. And he had a pretty clear idea of what he thought. And then he just went through the evidence and fitted it to what he, he'd said. It's worth noting that John Edders was the first writer to have access to the archives, mm. the National Archives. Yeah. And he did discover some new information. For example, um, he highlighted a builder's statement, who, um, a, a builder working on the house who recalled seeing um, Beryl Evans and Geraldine leaving the house in the morning of, of their murder. Uh, um, in, indeed. Um, basically, the thesis of the um, 
of the Eddowes, of John Eddowes' book, is that um, Timothy Evans was a, um, was a drunken, psychopathic yeah. young man who, uh, who killed his wife and daughter. Uh, and... Um, and basically, and argued that Kennedy had got it all wrong. Mm. Yeah, but then he had other theories about Evans putting the body of his daughter in a suitcase at Paddington, and then planning to go off on his van and throw it off. No is it Brighton? No Could well be Brighton. Throw it off the yeah. bridge at Brighton. Yeah, which again, I mean, there's no actual evidence of that. So, I suppose if you take Kennedy's and Edo's books as two extremes, and the truth is somewhere in the middle. I don't know. This is a really heartbreaking scene. Of course, it's worth pointing out that this scene may not have actually have happened. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I mean, it is referred to in a, in a confession in one of the many confession statements by um, both Christie and um, uh, and implied by Evans, certainly. Um, but we're not saying it did happen. Um, if you believe it did happen. Then you must believe that Christie, a reasonably intelligent man with a reasonable sense of self-preservation, right, would unlikely to kill someone when his wife and the builders were on the premises. In fact, yeah. Eddowes, John Eddowes, argues that um, Beryl spent most of this day away from the house, mm. um, which is, may have been the case. Mm. Um, it's hard to know because no one seems, at the time, seems to investigate whether she was seen by anyone else on that day yeah and he's using the same contraption that he used with Muraledi but we, I think we're pretty sure that she wasn't gassed is that right because her body was exhumed a few years later in 1953 indeed yeah when the, when the inquest was carried um, the post-mortem examination was carried out uh, on, on Beryl Evans' body and there was no trace of any, any gas um, so clearly if Christie did kill her at this time he certainly didn't do it in the way he's portrayed mm. as doing here. Mm. I mean, as, as I said earlier, I mean, we're not, we're not just trying to nitpick this film because obviously it, it uses dramatic licence, artistic licence, and I mean, it's a very well-made film. Yeah. I think really what we're trying to do is just point out that what's considered the official version uh, is probably not totally accurate. And, uh, not really much to say about this. It's pretty grim. It's worth noting that on Ed Beryl's body there were blow marks to the face. Mm. Um, which is clearly is what had just happened there. But Christie, of course, well, we, we know that uh, Evans had fought physically, I think, with his wife, but Christie also had... Uh, Conviction for malicious wounding. In, in, cricket bat. In, indeed, 20 years prior to this, he, yeah. he, he defaulted the woman he was living with um, mm. in Battersea. Mm. But how exactly physically powerful Christie was 20 years later mm. is no question. Mm. But what I'm saying is the fact that she was had blows to the head doesn't really help us try and work out it? who. No. So here, Alice is now Joan Vincent, isn't she? In, indeed. Yeah. Now, Joan Vincent um, made several statements as to what, which day she she visited Number Ten Rington Place. Mm. Here, of course, she's seen as visiting the house on the eighth of November, mm. with results that we'll soon see. But 
On other statements, she was not certain on which day she attended the house. Yeah. And also, she had she did have problems with her memory, Beryl? and it had been um, had been hospital about these. So we mm. can't be certain that she actually arrived at the place on this me, day. And in a rather you. bizarre twist, uh, they actually gave Evans some stolen goods as well. Is indeed, that right? was indeed. A suitcase, yes, Evans was given um, yeah. a suitcase um, <laughs> which had been and a rug, I believe, which had been stolen from the house that the um, Vincents lived in. Oh, um, I see, right. Evans did have a small record for um, theft. Um, he stolen a car once mm. and driven without the owner's permission. Um, both Christie and a fellow tenant Kitchener mm. be- believed that Evans was a petty thief, right? As well. Which, I mean, considering his financial situation and the area he lived in, I mean, it's not beyond the realms of possibility at all. Yeah, it's fascinating, though, the intertwining of Evans and Christie's lives. Yeah. They both knew the same people, they both uh, sold their furniture to the same person, they went on trial in the same court, they were hung on the same scaffold. It's quite strange. In a way, I almost think, because I've got a psychology background, I almost think they're almost... Kindred spirits in a strange way, aren't they? I think to so extent, many similarities. Yeah. Just, just the strange. Uh, they had fairly similar natures in a lot of ways. Now, of course, according to John Edders' oh, book, Christie, Christie's were actually out it's at the time news, Evans returned from work. He didn't right. work. Christie was at the doctor's, mm. and his wife was at the library, which is uh, mm. a few too far away. Yeah. She's upstairs on the And in Ludovic Kennedy's book, an, another slight factual error in his book is that he he says that Christie could have got to the doctors and back in 20 minutes or 25 minutes. And uh, as I said, having lived there, I've been done that journey uh, for other reasons, and slightly longer than that. But, yeah, we know that, Evan, that Christie went to the doctor around 5 o'clock, was it, something like that? More like 6. More like which 6. Is when right. the evening surgery opened. Which is when Evans would have been returning from work, yeah. roughly. Yeah. We don't know exactly how long Christie would have spent at the doctor's, but certainly he, he would have probably have had, to, have had to wait in a queue before mm. being seen. That's Could have been some time. Concussion, I'm afraid he would struggle. It also makes more sense if you believe because Evans killed his wife, baby. that he would have done so when no one else was around the other house, when he'd come back from work. Uh, and the two of them had had an argument mm, mm. with no one to hear her scream. Yeah, of course. Here, when you when you saw Christy um, killing her, the the screaming if, if that was accurate, the volume of her screaming would surely have been heard by the builders. I mean, it's, it really was a tiny house. I told you that. Now, the version that we're seeing here. Is, um, is one which is recounted by Evans in his second statement to the police at Murphy Tidfall. Mm. Uh, he did give um, a variety of statements. This is one of four. Mm. And it's also interesting that while Evans has looked at his wife's face, he does not seem to have seen the strangulation marks around her neck which we clearly right. were seen in the first mortem. Right. And she was strangled. Um, it's curious that he, if indeed he was innocent, he did not notice that. Mm. And, of course, Christie's giving him a story that she possibly would have died anyway. What am I going to do? She would have been ill anyway. So. Come on. 
Yeah, I mean, Evans and Christie both had this tendency to to lie, as we said, in their statements and then change their statements. So. Did you get the doctor? Evans gave one. The first statement he gave in Wales was that he'd... Um, can't do much now. Someone had given him some pills. <laughs> Someone in a transport cafe had randomly given him some pills for abortions. And that he'd put his wife down the drain outside Rillington well, Place. And the police went there. Um, there was no nobody down there and he wouldn't have been able to lift her body or open the drain cover anyway. So then Evans' second statement in Wales was completely different. He said, oh, I only said that to protect a man called Christie. And uh, the second statement he gave is basically um, what Kennedy's book and what this film is based on. So this this conversation may have been happening or it may not, we don't know. You knew about it, that's the point. You're an accessory before When Evans went to trial, was was there any animosity between Evans and Christie? We don't really know, do we? Obviously Christie's there as a prosecution witness. Well, um, all that we know that Evan said in prison was constantly to say that Christie done it. Mm. All right. Um, all right, allegedly, a fellow prisoner by the name of Arnold Hume uh, claimed that he, he, he suggested to Evans that he should put all the blame mm. on Christie. Mm. Whether Hume actually did, did say this is, of course, unknown and, and um, mm. quite possibly not. Because there's... Um, Again, one of the things that the official version says is that there's too many coincidences for there to have been two killers in the same house. But, I mean, one of them, for example, is uh, Evans Evans happened to... Uh, I could get you um, Evans happened to name uh, his neighbour as a man who was a murderer, and then it's found that he's a murderer later. Or something like he named the only man in that area who was... Uh, was also a killer or a strangler, but it did so happen that he was in the same house. He didn't just randomly pick Christie from all around London. Not sure if that coincidence is... is, You know, I mean, it is is strange to think of two stranglers in the same house, but I don't know, I think there's lots of strange things have happened in history. I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility. Strangulation, of course, at the time was was actually a very common form of murder. Um, So it's worth noting. um, It's also worth noting that that several people who were involved in the case, such as um, Dr Keith Timpson and uh, Police Sergeant Trevelyan, both believed that... That, that, that such a coincidence was entirely credible. Mm. And it's worth noting that although both of them were involved in the case, um, they weren't um, too involved that such comments would could be argued were merely self-preservation and self-justification. Mm. You better see to the baby's supper. She'll be crying for it in a minute. Um, are there any other books that we need to mention? Well, yeah. your book. <laughs> Apart from my book. Apart from your book. The yeah. other three <laughs> probably worth a mention would mm. be the now books by... Um, in the Great British Trials series, which came out in 1957, which gives um, a complete transcript of the trials of both Evans and Christie. Mm. So word-for-word account of what happened. Um, It's a a difficult book to get hold of and expensive too, but certainly worth reading uh, to have the exact statements of both characters. 
The other oh, two books that hurly about the Christie case are the, um, the fairly recent years. There's one by Mr. Marston, um, a crime novelist, in um, a series of National Archives books of famous criminals which basically is a condensed version of the Ludwig Kennedy book, sometimes including the same phrases. Um, There is another one written more recently, A House to Remember, which um, takes the opposite view, takes the view that um, Evans killed his wife and daughter. It's a very short book. It really has very. It really has nothing new to say at all. Um, um, apart from it, um, it, 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 it has a more sympathetic viewpoint, perhaps, to Beryl Evans. Because Beryl Evans often gets a very raw deal. Um, both in life, and obviously she was murdered. Um, but also by many of the authors on this topic tend to be very dismissive of her, of her, um, of her housekeeping skills uh, or her personality, etc. Um, and and um, House Remember does at least um, call for more sympathetic view towards her. Um, all right, yeah. I will too. Well, I'll have to believe the truth. Well, go on then, if you're going. It's a very well, I long can't scene. Now, can I? I've got the baby. It's, 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 it's a very important scene, of course. Mm. It's pivotal to, to the whole plot of the film. Mm. And it's worth also recalling that the reason for the film being made was that there was a private members' bill to reintroduce capital punishment at this time mm. following various um, um, murders such as the Moore's murderers uh, the murder of three policemen in West London and so forth and um, therefore a number of people who were strongly opposed to capital punishment decided that film that this film could be uh, a powerful tool in their campaign to stop such, uh, such legislation from occurring <laughs> And I mean, Richard Attenborough and John Hurt have both said quite openly that they... I mean, they, they haven't really ever discussed any research they did. They just seem to both believe that Evans was innocent. I'll look after that. And I mean, you, you as a researcher is a good person to talk about this, but I do a little bit of research, not professionally, but just on topics I'm interested in. And I mean, it is amazing how much the public at large and, you know, even very esteemed figures... They just tend to believe what they hear, don't they? Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not. I'm not saying that everybody uh, has the time to always read lots of books about things that they hear, but you know, I wonder whether Richard Attenborough and John Hurt have had ever read anything else. Then I could tell people. You know, Ludovic Kennedy's slightly different because he was writing a book, and I guess that he he had a thesis that he wanted to write his book. You know, based on. Geraldine. You know, you wonder. It seems like an official version, as we as we discussed earlier, the official version is that Evans was a murderer. In fact, he, mur- he killed his wife, but he just wasn't guilty of the crime that he was tried for. And presumably, the reason he was tried for the murder of the baby is that there was no there was no chance of a manslaughter conviction. There was no chance of claiming mitigating circumstances, I suppose. Yeah, that's probably the case. Mm. It's worth mentioning that Ludwig Kennedy um, also um, 
and he, he was quite angry at the time that John Edwards' book came out in 1994 mm. and um, in the Country Times newspaper he took the uh, publishers to court uh, to, um, and won an apology and, and, and compensation although not I understand from the author himself but certainly from certainly from the publishers um, which is uh, an, an interesting thing an interesting thing yeah, I actually spoke to John Eddowes on the phone once, and uh, yeah, he he sounded pretty. I wouldn't say I don't know, but sounded angry, a bit very passionate when he was talking about it. He was firmly convinced that what he'd written was the truth. Earlier in this scene, Evans claims um, he makes a cl- he, he he refers to a story that he he propagated about his um, father being an Italian count. Mm. Um, now this story is often repeated in various books on this topic, although I have never come across anything in uh, all the evidence I've looked at which mm. said that he did say that. Although he, he he was known to tell tall tales and uh, uh, often did tell the tell untruths. That's yeah. fairly acknowledged by most people who knew him a friend's family etc mm. as I was saying earlier I mean Evans and Christie had a lot of similarities and I think sort of a certain inadequacy was true in both of them so they both tended to tell stories that uh, increased their standing now the, the, the rooms in which um, Beryl's corpse has been deposited mm. are the rooms of a man called Charles Herbert Kitchener mm. a retired railwayman of the GWR who lived in the house since at least the 1920s. Mm. Um, at this time, he was in hospital, um, mm. so obviously absent from his rooms. You'll be all right for tonight. You take this. Who's this? Wedding ring. Ironically, although he was the, he's the oldest inhabitant of the house, he was born in 1887, he actually had the longest life, and, and um, oh. after this he, um, he went to... Um, Went to Worthing, I think, in which he died in 1964. So therefore, outlived Christie by uh, 11 years. Each acting is mentioned here. We should, we should perhaps recall that um, Christie had worked with Muriel Ede um, at the Ultra Radio Factory in Park Royal, which is in, um, also in Acton. Mm. So you think that may be a clue that the... I mean, the story he told Evans that he was going to send the baby off to a couple in East Acton, so I guess that's a little clue that that may not have been true, that he took her name, yeah. took a name of somewhere he worked. And, uh, of course, the number seven bus, if anyone lives in that area, go, stops at East Acton, finishes at East Acton. We see Evans leaving the house on the same day as... Yeah, a murder. He did actually, in fact, actually leave the house six days later, on the fourteenth of November, right. after having lost his job and and having sold all the furniture, mm. which, of course, um, as it was on higher purchase, was not his to sell um, mm. to a certain man called Robert Hookaway, um, uh, furniture okay. dealer, who mm. will come across later on. Mm. Yeah, again, I guess for the dramatic uh, license of the film, you know. Having him hanging around for another six days before he left uh, would sort of slow the story up a little bit. So, yeah, we see Evans is leaving for Wales on the midnight train from Paddington. I think this is the scene now we're going to see Christie. We don't see him strangle the baby, but it's implied that he strangled the baby. Again, very grisly. 
not a nice story, really, is it? Indeed not. Now, um, <laughs> there is some debate as to the day in which... which um, Geraldine Evans. Geraldine Evans was killed. Um, it, as you, it, um, in, in this instance, it's on the same day as, as her mother. But some... For example, in uh, Evans' second statement, he claims that the baby was still alive for another two days. Mm. Now, this seems unlikely on the grounds that a, um, a baby without food will scream uh, and um, other people will be aware of it being alive. Mm. Um, since no-one seems to have heard of a baby alive after the 8th of November, it's arguable that she was killed on that day. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, seem, yeah, it seems incredible that... that uh, yeah, baby could be left crying. I mean, some of the statements that she said that Christie went off to work and then fed her when he came back. Mm. <laughs> but you know, you can't leave a baby. Now this street is Mount Pleasant in um, in in Murphy Vale, mm. and Tim is about to meet his his aunt and uncle, like um, Cornelius and Vivian. Lynch. 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 Yeah. Indeed. Mm. Indeed. Um, and of course, it, um, Christy uh, Evans rather grew up in, in, in Murphy Vale. He was born there in 1924. What are you doing in this neck of the woods? Sit down, Tim. Take a coat off. Well, me and the boss is uh, touring around trying to find new branches. Only the car broke down in Cardiff. There's tea fresh. Lots of other uh, little stories like telling like you. Oh, smash it. <laughs> uh, it'll be a few days, the car. The big end's gone, they said. You can see how, how smart Timothy Evans looks, and, um, um, and, and apparently, um, in reality, he, he, he was very cheerful during his, um, his stay in Wales. Mm. Stay with Barry's father. That looks like a picture of John Hurt and Judy Jason in the background, doesn't it? It may yeah, well be, yes. It is, yes. Yeah, yeah. Just been upstairs. He's gone. Yeah, and another thing that we don't know in all of this is what, what Ethel Christie was aware of, do we? I mean, her statements tended to back up her husband. You know, and it could be that they colluded, even if they, were, even if they were telling the truth, they may have colluded on a couple of things just to get their stories straight. We don't, but we don't know what she knew, do we? Well, a few years ago, a number of letters from Ethel Christie to her sister in Sheffield were found in an attic in Sheffield. Mm. Unfortunately, these are not in the public domain. I have, have seen a small, small sample of them, mm. which don't seem to give away anything of dramatic uh, importance. Mm. Um, but it certainly would be interesting to see the rest of them. Anyone who knows where they are, um, I would certainly be interested to see... Contact us. <laughs> to, ...to see details of, of these letters. OK. Um, ones I have seen um, um, indicate a very normal, boring life on the poverty line, basically. Mm. But I, I haven't seen three or four out of possibly 50 or 60, which were discovered. Mm. I'm going to put links, by the way, on this video to the website and to the forum. So if anyone wants to give feedback, they can do that. Or any information that might be of interest, they can put it on the forum or on the video. Now the place in which Christa is putting the corpses is the um, wash house, mm. um, which at this time the workmen were at work on. 
So mm. it's inconceivable that they could have um, been working in, in, in such a small place, yeah. which they stripped, and not see the corpses. If you look at it there, there seems to be no way. I mean, okay, you, they're hidden it. He's hiding it there behind timber, but. Tim being left by the workmen, of course, but yeah. the workmen were still at work at this property for several days yeah. afterwards. And he realised, it's interesting to note that Evans asked when the workmen would be finished, and he indeed left the house on the 14th of November, which is the day after the workmen finished. Ah. So it's possible he could have put the body in there on the day possibly. he left. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Ah, he actually looks a bit like Christie, doesn't he? Hey! <laughs> the uncle there. Uh, Unbe spectacle. That was spectacle, yeah. But, um. Yeah, I think, I think if, if Evans was guilty, I, I think the idea that Christie wouldn't know is absolutely inconceivable mm, to me. Yeah. I mean, as we've seen, which I think is fairly accurate, you know, he's peering through the curtains. He has been said in a couple of books that he, he liked to always answer the door or he liked to know who was at the door. So the idea of there being bodies there without him knowing he to me seems inconceivable. Now the teddy bear here um, is, is, is mentioned in several accounts of the case and it's shown as evidence that um, you know, Evans thought his daughter was still alive. Hmm. Now there's actually no, no proof that he ever bought a teddy bear at any time. Hmm. The list of the, the items he had had with him on arrest, or not on arrest, on um, uh, being taken to the police, um, not include a teddy bear, mm. and no contemporary first to it. Evans is very angry here because his um, aunt and uncle have received a letter from his mother, mm. which is strongly condemning her son mm. for having left... Um, London and having sold the furniture which was not his to sell and landing her as the, the, the guarantor with um, a bill. Yeah, she has very strong words and says, Oh, don't let him near me or something like that. She almost disowns him, but it's possible that in the, it might have been in the heat of the moment slightly. Now, Evans is shown here in a tea shop, on mm. a, um, it's not known if he was in a tea shop prior to, to his visit to the police station. Yeah, um, John Eddowes refers to him as probably being in a pub. Yeah, that's Again, it is something that we can't verify. Okay. Uh, yes, sir? So from here we actually... This is more factual, isn't it? It is indeed. Because a lot of the stuff, uh, the statements, uh, we know Christy um, Evans came into this uh, particular police station. The actor on, on the left is uh, playing a character called um, DC Evans, and it was mm. he who, who took um, Evans' first well, name, was portrayed here at Murphy Tidville Police Station. I no relation. Obviously, Evans is pretty. Pretty. Uh, now, calm. wait a minute. Do you realise yeah. what you're saying? Oh, I know what I'm saying. I can't sleep for it. I want to get it off my chest. So, his first statement oh, she was is. Expecting. Well, some of it's we fact, isn't already. it? She was expecting a baby, but yeah. she Anyhow, talks about getting some pills from a random person in a transport cafe. Give me this bottle of stuff. <laughs> I told her yes, not it's to a clear, it, she said she was going to a so, mm. I come home from work, and there she is, dead. 
She had the empty bottle beside her. I didn't know what to do, so I got her. I, I didn't know what to do, so two in the morning I got her downstairs and I opened the drain outside the front door and I put her body... And there's, lo- there's also lots of contention about some of the wording in Evans's statement as well. Some of it seems... Um, then I come down here. ...too highbrow. Or do you want to make a statement in writing? Some of the words he uses or turns of phrase. Yes, yes. Well, I, I think that is the case. Um, clearly this would have been... Clearly his statements were taken down in writing by the policemen here. Um, I think it's fair to say that when you are taking down someone else's... Ra- ra- Smelter's speech or words. There was mm. a tendency to use words that you would use rather right. than the actual words uh, in, in my experience of, of, of transcription. Yeah, and I imagine sometimes with the police, if they're trying to pressure someone into confessing, they might say, "So, did this happen?" Or and then they have, then they say yes or no. You know, they they would use some of their wording, and then the the man who's confessing would say, "Yes, that's right," or. Yeah. I, I would imagine they would suggest sentences. Yeah. I don't think that's uh, particularly Leading. controversial yeah. to say that. Yeah, yeah. Well, now, the drain where you said you put your wife's body, it's been examined. It's yeah, he told the story that he'd opened this drain and it, the policeman says it took three policemen to open well, it. I, I put it there. You see? So we know that Evans was quite simple and that he had a... But it's not... I expect so. It's not totally... Not been totally ascertained how mentally deficient he was. Would you say? I, I think it's probably wrong to use the word mentally deficient. Mm. Um, his education um, at school in Wales was certainly um, interrupted because of his various health problems. Mm. So his, his reading and writing skills were not of a high order. But on the other hand... Um, he was a van driver for some time. Um, he clearly had some... Um, Spatial intelligence, yes, perhaps. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And was seen as being worldly wise um, by, the, by the police. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, as I, as I was saying earlier, you know, it's been proved that there's multiple intelligences. So. Yeah, a lot of people um, don't have academic intelligence, could be quite worldly, almost as a compensation. Now, the police inspector here is not named, but it's almost certainly Chief Inspector George Jennings, mm. who had been involved in the investigation of the Hague murders earlier mm. that year. Well, there were actually some scenes filmed with a character called Inspector J, which was played by Bernard Lee. Yeah. They never... Um, they wiped the scenes. They never actually put them in the film. No, no, they just cracked off. And Christie, as we know, was a reserve policeman during the Second World War, so presumably he would have allied himself a little bit with the policeman here. Yes. It's not beyond the realms of possibility. He would certainly have made his experience of police work known to them if they were unaware of it previously. Mm. And now, here we have this remarkable situation where, of course, he's got two bodies already in the garden, the police are there, and... uh, is it verified that there was a thigh bone propping up uh, the fence? I believe it is. That just to me, that, to me, the fact that he would leave that there is just absolutely remarkable. It's just one of those bizarre things that you know seems to have been fairly well verified, but really strange. 
evidently, evidently nobody noticed. Hmm, nobody noticed, yeah. Well, John Hurt, of course, did a, an official audio commentary of this film, which is on the DVD. And um, he does keep talking about the naivety of this period. And I suppose, as we've discussed before, I guess it's fair to say that people didn't quite analyse things the way they do Can't now. We, we live in a culture where we seem to be always analysing everything we're doing or everything other people are doing. So I guess if you're not looking for it or you're not expecting it, maybe you wouldn't find it. But also around this time, the skull of Muriel Eady, which was a lady who he was killing in the first scene, was dug up by the dog, is that right? That's correct. Ended up yeah. in a bombed-out house found by some children. And did, Was that actually while this was happening? Do we know, or was it just around Around about the, this time. Around this time. Christie was quite vague in the statement. Mm. Possibly was vague in many statements. Mm. It's a bundle of something. Do you know what's in it? So here's the police finding the bodies in the wash house. All wrapped up. Is that yours? No, I don't think so. Now, of course, in this film, we are shown that Ethel Christie is aware of both murders um, and therefore certainly aware that what is in these in, in these bundles yet keeps quiet, presumably for her husband's sake. Mm. Yet it seems at the time that she was genuinely surprised at what was in these bundles. And it seems unlikely she would have known before they were found what was in there I mean actually uh, to be honest the the portrayal here by Pat Hayward is not doesn't quite follow Kennedy's portrayal of her because he sees her as very meek and just someone who would do almost anything her husband says but as we'll see later on she remarks to her husband that she knows what he's been doing so she doesn't seem too meek and submissive not really I mean in the scene here in, in, in the railway station, the police officers did indeed talk to Evans, mainly about football. Right, yeah, he supports a QPR. Today, mm. I found the dead body of your wife, Beryl Evans, concealed in a wash house at 10 Rillington Place, Notting Hill. These are the actual also words the which were used. Mm. Geraldine mm. in the same outbuilding, and this clothing was found on them. And as Later we see today, here, the Evans that's portrayed by John Hurt is very surprised that his daughter is also dying. In both cases. I have reason to believe supposed that to be with the family in East Acton. This we know, he said, yes. Yes. So they say, we have reason to believe that you're responsible for their deaths, and he just says yes. Now, a little bit Kennedy's book, he... Right. has quite a long chapter all about Chinese brainwashing techniques. And, and the fact that that admittance of yes was so probably quite ambiguous. Again, this statement, which the policeman is reading out, mm. it is Evans's first statement made at, at Otting Hill Police Station. He did go on to make a, a, a more lengthy statement, which is excluded from here. And he also spoke to at least two other policemen, admitting his guilt uh, in both the cases of murder, which, again... And I'm not shown here. Stranger, they, if they had the tie, I guess they couldn't find any fibres on the tie. I mean, surely if this happened now, I mean, there wouldn't be any doubt with the... I mean, with the forensics they've got now. Because the tie apparently was left around the baby. Yes, that's right. Yeah. 
It still seems odd, doesn't it? I mean, they yeah. wouldn't have found something on the tie. Mr. Christie. I think one of the things is that maybe the, the police never really had any doubt. The police want to solve murders. You, you know, when a murder happens, the police want to solve it. Mm. It's, it's for various reasons. Now, this is day two of the trial of Timothy Evans. It mm. took place in January 1950. Mm. And the barrister speaking is Malcolm Morris, um, obviously defending... Um, mm. Um, Did you know that Mrs. Evans uh, was pregnant in November last year? Well, the prosecution barrister had the interesting name of Christmas Humphreys. Christmas Humphreys' father. And he was a Buddhist as well, wasn't he? He was indeed. Mm. And he wrote um, an autobiography, which I'm, I'm reading at the moment. Oh, right. um, in which, uh, it's worth mentioning that, um, that Mr. Humphreys' father was Travers Humphreys who was a very famous uh, barrister and judge uh, at trial of such men as Bride in the Bath and uh, and later uh, John Hay. Robert Hardy, quite a famous actor. Prior to his days in um, All Creatures Great and Small. Do you think you knew anything about medical stuff? No. And that you said that you'd been training to be a doctor before the war? It's interesting here that... that Evans is in this situation, he's not, not very literate, not very well educated. And he's got these two barristers, these two, lo- um, two barristers duking it out, prosecution the defence. Some, someone once said of uh, a lot of murder trials, the actual defendant is almost immaterial sometimes because often the law is about the prosecution defence duking it out together. Evans may well have not been aware of what a lot of this language means, you know, a lot of the more technical language. Most of Morris's... Um, um, comments here um, are taken from the second statement made by Evans at, at Murphy Tidfell. Which is the one that implicates Christie, obviously. Yeah. So they decided to put everything on that. Yeah. 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 Quite sure. Absolutely sense. Do you remember giving evidence at the Magistrates' Court at West London? Yes. You've never mentioned there this noise of something very heavy being moved. And uh, Evans' brother-in-law, because Basil Thorley, his wife's brother, actually expressed the the thought that he thought Evans had done it. He was convinced of it. Yeah. 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 Basically because... um, Evan said to him, I'm sorry, Baz. Basil Fawley took this to mean that he was apologising to him for having killed his, um, his sister. And, uh, mm. I'm still taking the match I mean, I think it's fair to say that Evans, even if he didn't kill them, may have felt responsible. I mean, the way that it's portrayed here may, may not be exactly accurate. I had to go to the doctor again last night. So we know that Christie was actually ill at this time. Gave me some pills. Genuinely ill, I guess. Because he'd been going to the doctors. That was Dr. Matthew Odess at, um, at 30 Colville Square in Notting Hill. Then you may. The judge, incidentally, is um, Justice Lewis, um, who, uh, who died a couple of months after this trial took place, oh. not a few days after, as right. Ludwig Kennedy uh, states. <coughs> And it's true that Christie was allowed by the judge yes, to sit down. And having, having read the transcript, it does seem that the judge was leading the jury a little bit. 
from what I've read. In fact, you were a constable in the war reserve. But again, I think I think no one really had any but doubt, so and there's no other plausible explanation because what they know of Christie, why would he have done this? There's, there's no. He was a petty criminal, as we know, but officially he hadn't committed any crimes for was it, 20 years or so. Now it's yeah. it's worth noting here that um, that Mr. Morris is casting doubt on the good character of Christie, mm. which of course he has to do because Christie is the lead prosecution witness in the case mm. against his client Evans. Then mm. Now. Um, Morris did indeed state well, that Christie had, had, had committed various crimes, um, as it says in Halifax and yes. in Uxbridge. Mm. But he is incorrect to state that Christie had committed two crimes of violence prior to his time. Right. The um, reference to the crime of violence in Halifax in 1923 is often passed off as fact, for example, in Ludwig Kennedy's book, has actually no, has no basis in fact. But it's true that he did um, assault the woman, Muriel Curls, which he, in, who he lived with in Battersea. 1929, that is, that is true. But what is perhaps more important and relevant to this matter, are there two other convictions recorded against you? Yes. The first of these being for violence at Halifax in 1923. So he's leading him on here to um, and the second, when you talking were about the case of uh, malicious wounding for malicious in 1929. Wounding. In 1929? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <coughs> it's very small, isn't it, the court? Yes. Very small. I've actually never been inside, although I understand case, it is not as is, is quite small as in the, as, as the film portrays. Because oh, that's I a set position, yes. isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Not yeah. killed by abortion, of which there's no sign whatever, but by strangulation. Yes. Now, a word about your character. What were you doing in the First World War? I was in the army in the First World War. Fighting for your country? Yes. I, I was uh, gassed twice. I was blinded. It's interesting to note that um, Christie actually signed up for, uh, for the army several months before he would have been conscripted. Um, Last in, in time, you were in trouble with the police for any offence was in 1933, was it? Yeah, I mean, we do know from... We do know that he was... Uh, he did like uh, wearing uniform, didn't he? In this yes. He seems to fit into groups in at school, but then he liked to wear uniforms. A bit paradoxical. Yes. Well, I think he saw uniform as a policeman or a soldier, as, as someone in, in a position of authority. Mm. Thank you, Mr Christie. But also part of a group, because yes. he seems to be one of those people that did want to be part of a group, but then has a tendency to want to be away from it as mm. well. So, yeah, bit of conflict there. What are you doing? So what's happening here? She's. I'm going to sleep in the front room. She's going to sleep in another room, which suggests that she suspects her. Front room. Well, she knows what happened, obviously. On the surface. To some room. extent. What's that in here? But clearly, um, we are meant to think that Ethel is aware that her husband is a double murderer, at mm. least. Mm. Um, we're not. It seems unlikely that this scene actually happened. There's no evidence it did. Mm. Um, no, no. It is you who 
Barnsley It's worth remembering that um, shortly after, 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 after this scene takes place, that um, Ethel defended her husband against the charge um, of being a murderer when he was confronted with um, um, with Evans's um, mother. Yeah, outside the court. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, here, this is a good example of what I was saying earlier about this very learned, very um, articulate barrister questioning him, putting pressure on him. Because you're worried about your daughter. With great respect, there is no confession of murder. She said, I have disposed of my wife, I have put her down the drain. It sounds very like murder. And as we said, it's nonsensical to really to accuse Christie, isn't it? From what we know or don't know of Christie. Andrea Morell here, who plays the judge, um, had played Dr. Watson in the 1959 Hammer film, The Hound of Baskerville. Exhibit 6. In which you talk of meeting a man in a cafe and of how your wife took these pills and died of them. And you found her dead. And there haven't been any other films of this, have there, or TV programmes? No, I don't remember. Just documentaries. I think there was a drama made in 1970 called Dreams of Timothy Evans, in which it's about the scene where allegedly Evans and Christie met each other on the night of the murder of Beryl and have a discussion. It's made by London Weekend TV. I've yes, never been able to have access to it, but be interesting. And, and that came out uh, around the time true. of this film. Quite surprised they haven't made one since, Which actually. Well, it's just that much child. further away, isn't it? I mean, the Moore's murders seem to be fresher in people's minds. Yes. Yeah. I was told of my daughter. And also, I, I think there's a general feeling that, um, that Ludwig Kennedy's book is correct. Mm. Uh, it's been reprinted several times. Mm. And I think, that's, as John Eddowes has said, it seems the authorised version. And therefore, mm. there's no need to revisit it yet again. Mm. It's a great shame. And that is the second statement you have made. But of course, in one of the photos in Kennedy's book, he gets the names wrong. There's a picture of uh, Evans's sister, Her. Um, holding Geraldine and then Beryl Evans next to him. Would it not be right and he gets the names wrong, but then when he reprinted it, it's never, it hasn't been changed, has yes. it? Yes. So it does give the impression Why that Beryl was my life is better looking or more prosperous than she seemed to be. We have shown your story about Mr. Christie giving your wife an abortion is nonsense. But you are the person who alleges Mr. Christie is the murderer in this case. Can you suggest why he should have strangled your wife? So he says he's, he strangled his wife because he was at home all day or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> that was all he could yeah. come up with. Home all day? I think Timothy Evans here is being taken apart piece by piece by Christmas Humphreys. In what the law would perhaps describe as a very effective manner. Mm. I think Evans was the, the type of witness who shouldn't have been put in the witness box by the defence. Um, it's not necessary for the accused to actually be in the witness box at all. Mm. Uh, and for example, in the cases of Neville Heath in 1946 yeah. and John Hague in 1949, the defence team decided not to put their client in the witness box. Mm. I didn't even know the baby was dead till the police brought me into Notting Hill. Oh, Christy said she was in East Acton. 
But do we know at what point he changed his mind and started accusing Christine? We, we don't really know. Do we? we do. He, he changed his mind on the 4th of December 1949 when his mother visited him in prison. We, we, we saw there his aunt visiting him in prison, which yeah, he never did. His mother, yeah. never did. The court has found you guilty of willful madness. There's nothing that prompted it, just the sentence of the court desperation, I suppose. You'll be taken from this place to a lawful prison. This is the third and final day of trial. Mm. And there you'll suffer death by hanging. And that your body be buried within the precincts of... Interesting to note that not everyone who was found guilty of murder was actually executed at this time. Um, approximately um, 25% of those found guilty were actually executed. Um, oh, the majority 25%. were not. Let's just talk about this. This, this is verified fact, is it? As the, case, as the sentence is passed... Christie starts sobbing. He did indeed. Do we know that? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's accurate. That's fact. I suspect the reason for this is that um, as someone who has just been accused of a murder, double mm. murder, he's, he, he's sobbing in, in relief for his own, own sake. Yeah. Um, but it could be, uh, possibly, uh, as someone who was against capital punishment, so he claimed. Right. He could be claimed for his descent of someone to death, effectively. I'm into something I haven't done, sir. Very bizarre, then, isn't it? <laughs> now, this scene is quite customary to happen for uh, after a man has been found guilty of murder, he will be interviewed by a panel of doctors to ascertain his sanity. If he's found to be insane, he'll be sent to Broadmoor. Christie's done it. It's a very standard practice at this time. And why were only a quarter of uh, murderers hung? What happened to Well, some were found to be insane, oh, which is a result right. of this thing. Right, I see. Some were given a reprieve by the Home Secretary. Right. Some were sentenced to various terms of imprisonment. Right. Um, it tends to be the more heen, what are perceived as more heinous crimes, they tend to attract um, the death penalty rather than those perhaps when there's maybe room for doubt mm. or um, so forth. Mm. Christie's done it. I say Christie's done it. All right. All right. Now, we're shown um, Evans um, being angry at this point. Mm. Um, in prison, apparently, he's not known to have shown any particular anger yeah. of being just the just unusual sentence. Yeah. Well, I think at this point, just um, Evans is about to uh, receive his punishment. Um, let's just conclude this part of the case, shall we? Because uh, basically, the people that say that Christie was guilty and that Evans was innocent, essentially, the main thing is that the coincidence of having two stranglers in the same house is too much. And uh, we know that what we know what Christie did before and after this case. Um, what would be the case the other way? If you could mention uh, just two or three points. I think the main um, case against Evans would be that it seems very unlikely that Christie would have committed a crime of murder in the middle of the daytime, mm. in which um, many witnesses, including his wife and the builders, were in the premises. Um, and Ethel may well have screamed. Um, so it seems, seems not unlikely. Secondly, the second main point, perhaps, is that when Evans returns and sees his wife, um, if she was indeed dead and he was innocent, mm. there would be strangulation marks around her neck. Mm. But he makes no reference to this. Yeah. So, therefore, in my mind, it seems more likely than not Evans was responsible for the two murders. Okay. 
but we're leaving it slightly open. We wanted to just present both sides, basically. Um, now, we just saw Evans being hung. He was hanged there by the actual man who hanged him, wasn't it? Albert Pierpoint. Yeah. And he remarked, uh, I think it was about Christie, wasn't it? Uh, I, I hanged the monster of into place in the time it takes for uh, cigarette ash to burn yes, down. Yes, indeed, indeed. Like yeah, and there's a very good film about Pierpoint. Did you like that film with Timothy Small? Sp- uh, Timothy Spall. I, I have seen it, um, mm. but it is, it is inaccurate in which case because it has Timothy Evans stating Christie done it. Now, according to the uh, memoirs right, right, of right. Um, uh, Pierpont's companion, he's in a cabin at the moment, um, Sidney Dealy, he says mm. that Evans made no comment of that niche at all. Right. But, I mean, as a film, though, I mean, it's quite effective, yeah. I think. I'm going I mean, to bed now. Good. Take the sleeping pill. I'm going to Sheffield in the morning. All right, so we're going... Uh, this is three years later, isn't it? Yes, it's... Um, um, Nearly three years. December 1952. Mm. What am I meant to do, then? There's quite a few problems with this thing. For example, um, the people that um, Ethel is, says that she's going to see um, are incorrectly named. The fact is that there were lots of people in this house um, in 1952. Yeah, that was a big part of it, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah lots of people. Um, and also, Christie had indeed been in employment almost continuously from mm. uh, March 1950 to um, early December 1952. Yeah, I mean, um, there was a boat called the Windrush which brought uh, lots of West Indian immigrants to London at this time so the house yeah it was precise opposite of what she just said that there's nobody in it it was very overcrowded and we know that for sure don't we yeah yeah and we also know that the tenant was uh, the sorry the landlord Charles Brown uh, was uh, a little bit manipulative and was certainly was of the Rackman type of landlord I think that's what you put in your book yeah, yeah I think that's <laughs> probably the case yeah I mean, he's a certain like to um, to maximise the profit from his investment. Yeah, shall we say by having single rooms, yeah, instead um, of apartments and several people in each room. Yeah, exactly. And Mrs. Christie actually did take one of them to court, didn't he? Didn't she? Yes, yes, yes. I haven't actually found the record of that. Hmm. Perhaps so. worth noting the minor point that when Ethel's body was examined some months later, there was no evidence of any barbiturates um, in her body. Yes, right. but he claimed that it was a mercy killing. Yes. Didn't he? I mean his yeah. statements as well. It's far too much to go into now. Yeah, very convoluted. Now Christie is about to bury his wife's body under the floorboards of the living room. Mm. Um, about ten years previously. He had, he had temporarily buried the body of Ruth first, his mm. first victim, mm. under the very same floorboards um, before he, um, he later put her into the garden. And Ethel's brother actually slept in that room that night. Indeed. Is that yes, right? That's right. It's another, another remarkable thing about this, that people didn't seem to notice things, but I don't know. Yes, I mean, there are various... various um, Witness statements by people who, who visited the house and didn't see or hear or smell anything untoward. Mm. This is Christie walking down Portobello Market, very famous market, very near the house, looking pretty down and out. Right now, this is uh, a lady who's supposed to be Margaret Forrest. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Who was? Um, was probably seen by Christie in a cafe, I imagine. 
There was a panda cafe was very near that house. Yeah. Which is and uh, she was supposed to go and see it's him twice, day. and she failed to make the appointment. It's a terrible headache. Very fortuitously. Oh, very, very Mind you, uh, Chrissy actually had three more victims after she killed Ethel yes. uh, between January and March 19. A real frenzy, yeah. yeah. But this scene, although he did meet one of his victims in a cafe, he wasn't quite right there. Mm. He also met lots of other women in cafes um, who, who fortunately for them did not go back with him to his house at any time. However, three did. Can I get you another cup of tea? No, thanks. Um, and their names are Kathleen Maloney, um, who's from um, from Southampton, convicted of prostitution. Rita Elizabeth Nelson from um, Ireland, who again had convictions for prostitution and theft. And finally, Hectorina McClellan, who is not known to have had any convictions for anything and it's routinely stated he was a prostitute mm. but without any evidence for this yes. unfortunately all three of them were um, gassed raped and strangled mm. by Christie and as we see here they were all hidden um, in an alcove in the kitchen um, mm. and we, we see here he is he, wallpapering over the uh, alcove so an alcove used for storing coal mm. yeah so he's papering over it and as we'll see uh, a bit later. Ah, this is Mr. Hookway, isn't it? This is Robert Hookway, who'd bought the furniture of both Christie and earlier Evans. Yes. Now, in this scene, he is shown to have a rather contemptuous attitude towards um, the unfortunate Christie. Um, but, in, but his statements in reality were that he was actually... Yeah, he actually quite looked up to Christie. He thought he was a very intelligent, pleasant sort of man to chat with. Mm. Yeah, he was a good portrayal of a sort of London dealer here, doesn't he? Yeah. No messing around. I'll have the very this afternoon. One, two, three. Sorry, go on. You can also see that Christie is obviously very hard up on his look um, financially. He was mm. unemployed at this time, mm. um, wasn't receiving very much money, and was trying to sell everything he could lay his hands on, yeah. including to illegally sublet mm. the um, rooms he had to an Irish couple. For three Mr. months. Mrs. Riley. For three months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's leaving, uh, this is March, isn't it? March 1953. So as you said, he had by now three victims buried in a small alcove. alcove. Plus his wife under the floorboards. Yes. And the two skeletons the two in the back skeletons. garden. So at least, yeah, six corpses. Yeah, so it seems that he just spent a few months between uh, killing his wife and, and when he left. Yeah, he seemed to meet a lot of people. Uh, as you said, was trying to survive financially. Now, he's here at um, a, um, a down-and-out hostel called Roughton House, which is near King's Cross Station. Um, in, um, in, in the depiction here, he is treated with contempt by, um, by a resident of, of, of the hostel. Mm. But in reality, um, the only statement we have from um, a fellow resident was that Again, Christie was seen as a very pleasant, intelligent sort of, sort of man to have a chat with. Yeah, he played snooker or oh, table tennis or one of those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he booked, he did book in under his own name, didn't he? Yes, in his own address for a yeah. week, quite openly. <laughs> very strange. But um, he left as soon as um, oh, news up murders had been discovered mm. in, the, uh, in the newspapers. Respect, of course. Definitely something very peculiar about him. 
even even outside of his crimes. I mean, very strange. Sort of mixture of arrogance and inadequacy. <laughs> now these two men here show sure moving in. Actually yes. lived in in, in, in in the property at the time, yes. in the in, in the floors above. Their names are Beresford Brown mm-hmm. and who finds the bodies. Who yeah. indeed. And his yeah. companion is a man called Ivan Williams. Mm. He's looking for somewhere to install um, a wireless. That's so he right. sees a wall in the kitchen which he thinks uh, will be suitable. Yeah. Finds. So Beresford Brown would have known Christie, would he, or, or yes, in passing? Yes, Beresford Brown had been living in this house since at uh, least about 1951. Yeah. In one of the rooms upstairs. So the body that he's going to see now, using the torch, is Hectorina McLennan. That's right. Two of the other two two victims of Christie's, you can see, have been, mm. have been put in blankets. Mm. Christie didn't put Hectorina's in a blanket because mm. he was concerned her boyfriend might return immediately uh, and right. discover Quite what was happening. So he uh, put her in less ceremony. Yeah, because they actually stayed at the house for about three nights, didn't they? That's right, yeah. Yeah, and Christie, in it, with his classic Puritanism, wouldn't let them sleep together. <laughs> no, indeed. It's interesting that neither of them seems to have smelled anything untoward, no. despite sleeping in a room with two bodies yeah. but perhaps it was winter time yeah well both the, yeah, both the Evans murders and these all happened in the dead of winter mm. so we finally find ourselves at the very last scene and this is near Putney Bridge yeah. South London mm-hmm. the policeman uh, approaching Christie is PC Ledger mm-hmm. an unusually tall constable I think that Star and Garter pub's actually still there oh. it was a few years ago yeah. I think you can also see this scene in the, the beginning of a second Sweeney film, this, this location, certainly. Oh, right. So, yeah, he's been sleeping rough for more than a week. What are you doing? I think this, the PC ledger said when he took off his hat, was full of twigs, so he knew he'd been sleeping rough. Yes. Now, quite bizarrely, Christie actually had on him a cutting of the Evans trial. Have you got anything? He did, yes. Yeah, rather strange. No, nothing at all. I think well, it, it, it says something about his need to feel self-important. Yeah, because he was part of it, wasn't he? A star witness for the prosecution. Yeah. Could have been feeling guilty about Evans. You know. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is the end of the film. He's caught. This is March the 31st. John Reginald Christie. And he was hung on July the 15th, so about three and a half months later. Come along. In that time, he was asked a lot about the Evans murders. He confessed twice to killing Beryl Evans, and there were different different uh, versions of the same story. Yeah. But he never he never confessed to killing the baby. I don't think, did he? He, he, he mentioned he it in passing. He hinted. But later retracted. Okay. All right. This is it. We got to the end. So um, yeah, if you if you find this on YouTube, leave leave a comment. And I'm going to leave links to the main Rillington to Place website, which is very informative, and also to the forum where you can uh, read lots of discussion, which occasionally goes round in circles. But, That's right. You know, uh, it is interesting because, as I said, Jonathan and I both would consider this an unsolved case, but really a case which is never going to be solved satisfactorily for everyone. 
we've got two books, Ludovic Kennedy, Ten Willington Place, and John Eddowes, The Two Killers of Willington Place, if you want to see two very opposite sides of the story. And then, of course, Jonathan's book, John Christie of Willington Place, Portrait of a Serial Killer, which came out last year. All right, that's Thank it. you for your time. Okay, thank you.